Good morning. It's good to see you guys. So, I usually forget to, so I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Ryan Swindle. I'm a pastoral intern here. Part of the reason I'm doing that is not because you may not know who I am so much as I shaved. And the nasty beard that was on my face uh, is gone, and you can see me, and I probably look like a completely different person. Yeah. So, uh, good morning. It's good to see you. When I walked in, I was preparing to preach and getting the sound and everything, and Mark, he met me at the door. We pray before we preach every time, so he was coming to get me to, to preach, or to pray before we preach. And he looked at me, and he saw my shaved face, and uh, he didn't smile. He, his countenance kind of fell, and he said, brother, you shaved your hair off. Your strength has left you. <laughs> so with that, we'll go ahead and get started on this sermon. Uh, we are considering the death of Samson. Uh, and to do that, I want you to travel back in time with me a little bit to 1992. I was 12 years old, and I was bored out of my mind. Growing up, I was bored a lot, and that got me in a lot of trouble. But this day, I was bored out of my mind, and so I called a friend and asked him to meet me, uh, and then I stuffed all the pockets in my cargo shorts with firecrackers, and I found a lighter, and I lit straight out of the house and ran down the road. And as I ran down the road, I looked for this dry creek bed that I knew, and I knew exactly where it would take me. It would take me to a place where I would be able to do whatever I wanted to stop being bored, right? Uh, so I find this creek bed. It's all dried up and cracked. I follow this creek bed uh, down along this, this uh, line of trees uh, to a grove, and then it opens, up into, um, it opens up to a stock tank and this wide open field of prairie, this dry grass. It was in July. And uh, the grass was bleached, blonde by the sun. Uh, and in this pond, I could see uh, what was there most years, which was a whole bunch of water moccasins. Okay, there were dozens and dozens and dozens. Uh, but they were sunning themselves out on the shore. They weren't in the water. They were curled up on the edge of the pond. And so I get there, and I see the snakes, and I look around, and I see my friend. My friend is sitting there. He's waiting. He's waiting for me to get the party started. So I start emptying my pockets as fast as I can. We throw all of our fireworks on the ground, and we just start lighting them off one at a time. Uh, that, that day, yeah, that day we came to play with fire. Uh, we burned through black cats. We burned through ladyfingers. We burned through uh, M60s and smoke bomb after smoke bomb, and we filled the sky uh, with percussion and clouds of smoke until my stash of fireworks were all gone. And there I was, bored again, in a field full of dry prairie with only a lighter. I was bored again, and I was curious. And I wondered, what would happen if I lit up one blade of grass? How fast would the field catch on fire? And I also thought about how funny it would be to scare my friend who was standing right beside me and to make him think that we caught the field on fire and to see his face. And so why not? I sparked my lighter and I waved it across a single stalk at the edge of the pond. And then I saw what happened. At first the flame was small and it was slow. And I knew that I could stomp it out whenever I wanted. I knew that I was in control. So I just let it go. Just a little longer, right? Let's see what happens. The flame grew like a weed, and then a straight gust of wind blew in, and my stomach turned, 
and I knew that it was too late. Now, some of you may not know this, but my dad is a firefighter, okay? And our house was right down the road. Yeah. And I felt ashamed immediately. I felt ashamed that he would suffer when the whole town found out that the foolish kid that did it was me, his kid. It was like a foolish dream. That's what it was. It was really like a nightmare. It was like one of those nightmares where the world slows down. It stops turning, right? But that thing that you're scared of, it keeps getting faster and faster and faster, and it chases you the whole way. That's what it was like. All I could think of was being that kid, you know, that kid that burned down the east side of town in 1992. I was dizzy with terror. I couldn't see straight. I was stumbling like I'd had too much to drink. And I jumped straight in the pond, of all things. And I forgot about the snakes. And I started splashing the flames with all my might to try to put the fire out. If you play with fire, then you'll get burned. You know the phrase. I don't even have to finish it for you. The meaning of that phrase is as clear as lighter fluid. That if we play with harmful things, and harm is going to come to us. And if we don't want to be harmed, then we won't play with harmful things, right? And yet the fact remains, we play with fire all the time. We play with sins all the time. The kind that will burn us. Why? Why do we do that? Maybe we're just looking to have some fun. Maybe we're just bored. Maybe we're curious and we wonder what will happen. Or maybe we're angry about our lives. Maybe we're trying to punish others for the lives that we have. Maybe we've learned that trying to punish others doesn't give us any peace. And maybe the only person left to punish is ourselves. Whatever the reason, we sure do love to play with fire. And so did Samson. And in the end, it burned him good. In Judges chapter 16, Delilah asked Samson three times to share his secret. Samson is foolish, but he knows full well. He knows that he better not tell her the truth, right? So he lies to her. He lies to her three times. She wants to know what would make him weak like any other man, and he resists. He tells lies that couldn't be further from the truth because he knows that she wants to destroy him. He tries to protect himself. How? With lies, not with truth. Lies. Lies that couldn't be further from the truth. And so Delilah, and so he lies to Delilah, and then he lies to himself, by the way, and then insofar as he continues to spend time with her, he lies to the spirit that indwells his heart. His first lie sounds like a really, really corny joke, something that my four-year-old will tell me. I can be weak like any other man if you just bind my wrist with a flimsy little string, with the bow, the string of a bow. It doesn't make sense. And yet she tries. She hopes that it's true. She hopes that it will make him weak like any other man. And it seems far enough from the truth that he will actually be safe. But what does a bowstring look like, guys? It looks like a strand of hair. And then we start to wonder as we think about it, Maybe there's some truth in what he's trying to say. Maybe his heart really wants her enough to actually betray him. And then Samson goes and he lies the second time. And what does he say? He says, a new rope 
could bind me. A rope could make me weak like any other man. Bind me with a rope and you will know my weakness. And so she tries and he fails. It fails her. Um, and it seems silly, it seems like a joke. But then we start to think, as Sonny said, he has what on his hair? On his head. He doesn't have strands of hair. Samson has locks. Seven locks, and locks look like, they look like rope, right? And so maybe he's actually telling a little bit of a truth in the midst of this lie. Maybe his heart wants Delilah so much that he's betraying himself, lie by lie, step by step. And then his third lie is even further from anything that resembles truth, it seems like. It's crazy to hear. He says, if you weave my locks into a loom, into the bolt and beams and pins of the loom, then I will be made weak. Now, this seems silliest of all, furthest from the truth and the safest thing for him to say. And yet, as we picture it, if we imagine and close our eyes and imagine somebody's hair being woven into a loom, what does it look like? It looks like a guy having to tilt his head back and his locks being pulled in all directions, probably a lot like it did when he was going to get it cut the night after, right? Step by step, you see what's going on. His heart is betraying him. All three lies. His heart betrays him little by little by little. His heart betrays him, what? For an unholy desire. Each time he lies, he actually gets closer to telling the truth. Each time he gets closer to betraying the holy secret that God has given him. Because he wants Delilah. Because the heart wants what the heart wants. Instead of putting Delilah away, instead of marrying a nice Jewish girl and settling down, he continues to go back to her. He continues to spend time with her. He continues to sleep with her. In so doing, he continues to put his life in her hands. Now, when we read about Samson's downfall, it seems foolish, unbelievable, and silly. It seems more like a tall tale, a parable, a fable, far more than the confession of a sinner. But then we remember that Samson was a real person, just like us, that he was tempted just like us, and that he sinned just like us. Now, at that point, you guys may go, whoa, I have a hard time hearing that. I have a hard time hearing that I sin like Samson. I'm not a womanizer. I'm not a seducer. I'm not like Delilah. I struggle to relate to this story. And I'll tell you something, I struggled to relate to it too as I read it and as I tried to prepare this sermon. The hardest passage I've dealt with so far. But what I began to understand the more I thought about it is that I'm forgetting something. It's not me that seduces, it's me that's being seduced. Sin seduces us all and in that way we're all very much like Samson. Sin has always been seductive since the garden, and it will continue to be till it is no more. Now, Samson was easily seduced, such that we begin to wonder, what was God thinking, making this guy his last judge? And yet, that's the very reason that God chose him. God chose Samson to be the last judge because he was seduced, because the people he was judging and trying to save were seduced as easily just as easily as him. God wanted a judge that was just like his people, that would know their weaknesses and would try to save them in the midst of them. Like any other Jewish man, Samson had a taste, a fondness for Philistine ladies. 
It was a real problem at the time. Now, the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh are always an issue. But it's even worse that the children of Israel are lusting after Philistines because the Philistines, the Bible tells us, are the sworn enemies of God. Lust after anybody else, and that's a problem. But this is a two-strike-against-you problem. This is a sickness-unto-death problem. That's how God sees it because he knows that these ladies are going to lead their hearts astray. They have a lust problem. Samson's not immune, and it is a sickness unto death. Delilah is infectious, just like COVID, just like a virus. Delilah is infectious, and she knows it. And so, having been lied to three times, what does Delilah do? She puts her foot down. She knows she can do better than this, so she interrogates him, and she says, Samson, honey, how can you say that you love me when your heart is not with me? I know you're holding back. She knows that he's playing with fire, but she also knows that he's keeping it small. He's in control. He's not letting it get out of hand. He's playing it safe. She knows Samson isn't loving her, not with his full heart, not with his whole heart, and she's jealous. She wants all of him. She wants all of his love. Why? So she can destroy him with it. So she forces him, and he can't resist. He tells her his secret. He places his life in her hands, and what does she do with it? She wastes no time. She collects blood money. She lets Samson fall asleep. She goes and she fetches the Philistines, and they shave his head just like that. And when they're done, she wakes Samson up, and they taunt him, and they rush him. And Samson thinks that he's going to break out. He's going to fight through. He's going to fight free again, just like he has so many times before. But what he realizes when he reaches back for that strength, it's gone. God's strength has left him. Can you imagine what that felt like? To be surrounded by flame and to see it rising and, and know that you have nowhere to run. The Philistines, they seized Samson. What did they do? They shackled him and they gouged out his eyes as an act of humiliation. And they enslave him. They carry him off to Gaza so that he can grind their mill for the rest of his days. And every morning for the rest of his life, he's woken up. He's woken up and brought out of that cold, dark cell to walk the long walk in the heat of the day, to grind their mill in the heat of the day. And as he stumbles down the path, because remember, he's blind, right? He's led by the hand, and he stumbles down the path. The whole way, you know what he thought. The whole time. It's no one's fault but mine. He knows he has himself to blame. All the while, his enemies look on him because they can see and he can't, right? So they're looking on him with proud eyes, mocking him as he spins around this mill blindly and without end, infinitely, in complete and total shame. And then they look straight from him to their God. They look to their God and what do they do? They praise him. They do what we do on Sunday. That's what they did. They praised him, and they gave thanks. They gave thanks that their God is stronger than Samson's God. 
Here we find Samson at the absolute lowest, the point at which it can't get any worse. And we know what that feels like. We know what it feels like to be there right, belong, right alongside him. We know what it feels like to be imprisoned. We know what it feels like to be mired in a mistake of our own making. We know what it feels like to be lost in the dark and full of fear like a little kid. We, will know, we know what it's like to be without hope, don't we? What is that place? It's a God-forsaken place. And by that I mean this. It's a place that gods don't go. It's a place that gods wouldn't be caught dead in. And yet, our God meets us in places like that all the time. Our God meets us there all the same. Why? Because our God opens the eyes of the blind. Our God brings prisoners out of the dungeon. Our God brings people out of darkness. So one day, Samson, he's hard at work, and he's sweating. It's the heat of the day. And he goes and he wipes the sweat off of his brow. And what does he feel on top of his head? He feels stubble. He feels his hair growing back. And what does he know? He knows that God hasn't left him. In that moment, he realizes that even though he strayed from the Lord, even though he was defeated, even though he shamed the living God, that God is still with him. Samson strayed, and the Philistines did their absolute level best to tear him from his God. Sin did its absolute worst to destroy his life. And still, the man has not been forsaken. And the same is true of us, Christian. Every time that sin shears us bald, even when we stray and betray the Lord Almighty, he comes to us. He comes to us like a friend to the friendless. And he reminds us that he is with us always. Now, Samson, he has nothing left to offer God. His pockets are empty. He's lived his life. He's chased after the lust of his eyes. He's chased after the lust of his heart. He spent his days getting what he wanted. He spent his days ignoring, forgetting what God wanted. Samson squandered his life away. He has no more days left to give. None. But God still hasn't forsaken him. Samson feels his hair growing back, and he knows. And he looks up in the heat of the day. He looks up blindly. He can't see the sun, but he feels the warmth of the sun on his face. He's nothing but a lowly prisoner, but he knows that God is with him. And his eyes are blind, but guess what? That means that his eyes are blind to his own desires. He can finally see past his own desires. He can finally see God for who he is. For the first time in his life, this prisoner is free. Now, yes, Samson is still angry, but he's angry for a different reason now. Before, he was angry about all the times the Philistines shamed him and mistreated him and cheated him. Now, Samson is angry about the way the Lord has been treated. He's angry that the that Israel followed the way of the Philistines instead of the way of God. And he's angry that he helped lead them down that wrong path even further than they were before. And he's angry at himself for shaming God, the same God that's still with him. 
But what can Samson do? He has nothing left to offer. He has nothing left to give. Nothing except his life. And so it is with his final breath that Samson offers his life to God. He offers his life to God just as he offered it to Delilah. Samson asked the Lord to accept his life as a holy offering unto his glory. He asked God to avenge him for the loss of his eyes. He asked his God to be victorious over his enemies. And God takes his life, and what does he do? He makes it holy through his word and with prayer. And Samson's life is finally a blessing to Yahweh, and it's finally a curse to the God of the Philistines. By God's strength, Samson pulls down the temple of the Philistines on himself and on the Philistines as well. And he brings deliverance to his people. He brings peace to his people. But for how long? How long does Samson's offering last? One generation? Two? Samson was a judge, and we know what happens when judges die. When judges die, the book tells us, when judges die, the children of Israel, they stray. They go to serve other gods, right? How then will God deliver his people? How can he redeem them once and for all? if his judges continue to die. Deliverance requires Samson to die, but then his people need a deliverer, one that will never leave their side, a judge that will die for them and will somehow always be with them. Israel needs a resurrected Samson, one that will never die again, one that dies and dwells with them always. What Israel needs is Jesus. Jesus is the greater Samson, the last and greatest judge. The one who dies, that death may die. The one who lives again, to live with his people forevermore. Samson was a strong man, but he couldn't save his people, not in strength. He had to become weak. He became weak, and in being weak, he was able to use the strength of God to save his people. He became weak so that he could be brought into the temple, right? So that he could be what? Hung and stretched out, put on display, mocked taunted by his enemies, all for the sake of God's glory, all for the salvation of his people. Samson was seduced and captured, enslaved and destroyed for his people. But guys, Christ did all that, and he did it willingly, innocently, and not just for his people, not just for us, but for all people. Christ died for the Jews, but he also died for the Philistines. That's what makes Christ different. That's what makes Jesus different. That's what makes Jesus the greater Samson. Who are we then in the story? Are we like Samson? Yeah, we said that at the beginning. We admit that. It's hard to admit, but we'll say it. We're a lot like Samson. Are we Delilah? Maybe... Maybe not. Are we the Jews? No. Well, all that's left are the Philistines. And that's what the gospel says. We're like the Philistines. And yet, what did he do? He died for us. He died for us. He brought down our false temples over our heads. And then he reaches down into the rubble and he pulls us out. 
Jesus raises us to walk in newness of life. Jesus is the stronger man. Jesus was the one that was found in the very form of God. Jesus is the one who also emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Jesus is the greater one who humbled himself even more than Samson. Jesus is the greater one who allowed himself to be hung up, just like Samson, who allowed himself to be stretched out, just like Samson, who allowed himself to be displayed, just like Samson, to be mocked and taunted by his enemies. But wait, to be mocked and taunted for his enemies. Yes, he was mocked and taunted by us, but he was also mocked and taunted for us. Just as we sing together, ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. When Jesus died, he disarmed us. He put our resistance to open shame by triumphing over us with what? Forgiveness. He triumphed over us with forgiveness. Therefore, God has exalted him above every other name that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. In Jesus, God has delivered us and he dwells with us that we might proclaim his greatness. And what is that? His greatness is this, that he called us out of darkness. He pulled us up out of the rubble of our broken temples and into his marvelous light. Christian, lift up your head and rejoice in Jesus, the greater Samson. Thanks be to God. Let's go to him in prayer.